Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And one of my mantras about publishing is to make every decision a strategic one. From choosing a focus for your book to choosing a publishing route, picking the title, and even the cover design, you want to base every decision on which is the best strategy to achieve your goals. Today, I have with me another author expert who holds the same point of view. Sam Horn is the CEO of the Intrigue Agency, a positioning and messaging consultancy, which helps people design and deliver TED Talks, keynotes, funding pitches, and one-of-a-kind brands. She is also the CEO of Tung Fu Training Institute, a trademarked communication skills approach that teaches how to give and get respect at work, at home, online, and in public situations. Sam is the author of nine books from major publishers, including Tung Fu, Pop, What's Holding You Back, Someday Is Not a Day in the Week, and her Washington Post bestseller, Got Your Attention?, Sam's work has been featured in dozens of publications, including the New York Times, Forbes, Reader's Digest, Inc. Magazine, Harvard Business Review, Publishers Weekly, Library Journal, and she's been interviewed on every major network, including NBC, CBS, ABC, Fox, NPR, and MSNBC. So get ready for a mini course on how to avoid disastrous mistakes and achieve success when you think and act strategically about your book every step of the way. So Sam, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you. I've been looking forward to sharing some ideas with your listeners. Oh, and I've been so looking forward to having you because I know when we spoke recently, we got on the subject of being strategic about your book. And I don't feel like this gets talked about enough. I think that too many people get an idea and then they just leap into the writing. And, you know, if if they manage to finish, it does not go well. So we're going to backpedal all the way back to this idea of thinking strategically about your book. So let's start by maybe you could tell us a little bit about when did you first figure that out for yourself? (laughs) Well, I had help. The very first year of the Maui Writers Conference, I was running around to make sure things were on time. And I went into Michael Larson's session and Ah. Michael Larson, you know, Michael uh, wrote a great book on how to get an agent, how to do a proposal. (laughs) And he was talking about the importance of titles And he said, as a nonfiction agent, that he has represented authors just based on a title because he knew that they could build a book around. And someone in the audience said, well, like, what's a good example of a good title? And he said, Tung Fu is the best title I've heard in 10 years. And Robin, I went out and I popped in a chair and, (laughs) you know, that was my title. And see, you know, we're going to talk about strategy today. 
here's the thing. I thought I was too busy to write. I was raising my sons. I was jumping on planes and speaking. Who had time to write? And my clarity was the more I speak, the more I will speak. And if I want to be a visionary on behalf of my career, I will put paid speaking aside for a few months, pour myself into writing a quality strategic book, and it will drive my future more than anything else I can do. And that's what happened. And you were right, I bet. You know, Tung Fu is still selling 25 years after it was first published. And it is exhibit A of what you and I are going to talk about, which was it was strategic. It was in alignment with my career goals. It was in alignment with what the world needed right then, which was how to deal with difficult people without becoming one ourselves. So Mm -hmm. see, the stars lined up because it was strategic book, the right book with the right message at the right time. And when we do that, we write an evergreen. Exactly, exactly. So just to clarify for our, our listeners, So an evergreen book is one that stays on the shelves, even when it goes to what they call the backlist, right? So the bookstores continue to order it even months, years after its initial publishing date. You see them all the time because they actually take up most of the space in a bookstore. But when you think about how few there are in a bookstore, it's really, it really is a select few that make it to that evergreen status. You know, and I know both you and I believe in benchmark books, and I love that we have just used evergreen books as our benchmark books because they are the poster child of strategic books. They are an enduring message. They're not a trendy message. They're not just reaction to something that's happening in the moment. They're this universal need, this ongoing problem that people now and in the future will need. And when we pour ourselves into writing that type of relevant evergreen strategic book, it's an ROI for all involved. Absolutely. Okay. So I'm hearing lots of traits of strategic books in here, just in what you've just said. So I'm going to recap. So one is evergreen, which we've covered. Other is this enduring message. And this is also something you are preaching to the choir on this one. So I'd like you to unpack this a little, this idea a little bit more for our listeners. Okay, you know, both you and I are pragmatic. And so if you want, unless people are driving right now, let's turn, shall we turn this into a working session where at the end of our call? (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to have to get a pen because I want to write down the next one I heard before I forget it. So you just keep talking, Sam, and I'm going to grab a pen (laughs) while everyone gets the floor of my messy house. Okay. (laughs) You know, and see, Robin, this is, You have just pinpointed the number one takeaway of the Maui Writers Conference. Our authors didn't agree on anything. Uh, Frank McCourt would get up and say, you have to write first thing in the morning. Dave Barry would get up and say, I'm a night owl. Terry Brooks (laughs) would say, you have to work with an outline. Elizabeth George would say, I never work with an outline. The only thing they agreed on was ink it when you think it. Right? Ah, There you You go. We make a living from our minds and and we've got to jot the thoughts when they're hot, right? Muse it so we don't lose it. And you're a writer. I'm a writer. Hopefully everyone listening, watching is a writer. And right now, commit to this. You know, Ralph Waldo Emerson talked about capturing the gleams of light, which flashed across the mind from within, is that Mm -hmm. our life is our lab and our world is our muse if we ink it when we think it. So you and I, we couldn't continue, could we, without writing things down? No, no, cannot. Right, exactly. I would have been distracted until I found a pen. 
All the, yeah. Okay. So you were, you were talking about this enduring message. Yeah. Okay. All right. How we write an enduring book, both for ourselves and for our intended readers, is to W5 it. We don't wing it, we W5 it. So do you want to do that right now? Because I believe this is one of the keys. Because here's a premise of what you and I are talking about. I know you deal with thought leaders, with astronauts and CEOs, and, you know, I deal with a lot of thought leaders. We don't have time to waste, Robin. You know, books are an investment of time and energy and money and effort. And if we want to ensure that this book will be an enduring evergreen that is relevant and resonant for years to come, then we fill out this form because we dramatically increase the odds that it will be everything we've talked about. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Now, by the way, are you brainstorming a project right now and we'll do this in real time? Well, I am, but it's confidential with a client, okay. so we can't do it in real time. But I, I got you. Let's okay. just, we'll go through it. And I wouldn't, I think our listeners should be, if you're thinking of writing a book, you're getting a masterclass right now with one of the greatest mentors on the planet. So get out your notebook. <laughs> you know, and Robin, it's like an intellectual Disneyland, isn't it? I mean, do people know how much fun this is, Robin? <laughs> well, they're about to find out. Okay. Because everyone talks about hard work and and writing as a grind. And and certainly there are times when we have deadlines to meet and we need to finish a project and turn it in on time, et cetera. It's just that I really think if we see it as a grind and hard work, Tara Conklin said that our greatest work of art is the story we tell about ourselves. Mm, yes. What story are we telling about our book, right? Okay, so exactly. this is the story we're going to tell. We're going to have a W-5 form that serves as our North Star that helps us write a strategic, relevant, enduring book. Okay, the first W is what? So what's the title or topic of your book? If you don't have your title yet, just write down the topic. Now, also, you want a shortcut to writing an enduring book? Under W, what are three benchmark books? And they don't have to be in your genre. You know, maybe you liked this book because it was left in right brain. It had it was prescriptive and it had how to's, but it also had real life stories that were that were relatable and that kept you turning the pages or maybe a benchmark book is that this was a scientist and they had new research that that you knew you could trust the facts or the science or or maybe the person put themselves in the story. And like, you know, they Brene Brown, their book, right, is that they they take themselves off the pedestal and go first. So what's your title, topic and three benchmark books? Okay. OK, now I'm going to stop because I bet you have commentary or things to add. So, well, I mean, we do something similar, like, like one of the first questions we ask is, what's your book about? Right. And so this is this is like really trying to get at the heart of like, what's the get that key idea? What's that key takeaway if your reader got nothing else that you want them to get out of your book? We don't know, We don't have to know how we're going to do it yet. But what are you seeing right now that this book might be about? OK. And by the way. Robin, what you and I are doing right now, you probably know about otter.ai, the app, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Is, that, is that you can print this out 
And then you can go to lunch or dinner with a friend and have them interview you through the W-5 form because you're going to get in that lovely stream of conscious flow state where where you're not even thinking about it. You're just kind of digging deep and the words are coming out of your mouth. That's your true voice. And if you otter, O-T-T-E-R dot A-I, I'm not on commission. I should be. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to have a voice recording and a written transcript of your language, you know, (laughs) describing. Yeah. We record our calls with clients for that very reason, because they often say brilliant things. And isn't it wonderful to only have to remember what you said once? (laughs) You don't have to remember what you said because it's there in the, in the recording. Okay. So. Okay. That's our first W. What's our next W? Is who? And uh, now here are the three demographics that are target demographics. And Robin, as you know, what do agents and editors and publishers hate to hear? Oh, everyone will love this book. It's one of their worst responses. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Never say your book is for everyone. If you you want anyone to, yeah, any agent or publisher to help you get your book out. (laughs) That'll be the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, is this for divorced dads? Is this for, you know, uh, project managers in STEM? Is this for, uh, you know, parents, single parents? Is this for founders? Uh, You know, who is it for and your target audience? And then second, third. Now, quick way to find this out, because a lot of people, they don't know about genres and they don't know about target audiences. Right. So I'm going to tell a quick story on myself. So when 25 years ago, when Tung Fu came out, I didn't really know about genres, the importance of it. And so guess what genre St. Martin's Press put Tung Fu in? Oh, please don't tell me sports. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it is it is martial arts for the mind and mouth. (laughs) (laughs) They put it in relationships. Now, back in the day, (laughs) I mean, back in the days of brick and mortar stores, you know, self-help is two aisles long, right? Relationship is one shelf. It was me and John Gray. Now, hey book is still selling, so I can't complain. It's just that it was not a strategic genre because at that point it would have sold more books for all the browsers, all the people who went to self-help as a destination and just Mm -hmm. look for titles, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want to know a way to get your demographic, when you have your three benchmark books, go to Amazon and go down to product details, and it will have the name and the author and the publisher and the date and the number of pages. And then underneath, it will have the three genres that it's selling in. I guarantee you, it will come up with genres you never even thought of. Maybe your book is going to be like a Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It's both in business success and it's in psychology self-help. So do you see this is this is a way to start researching what genre you want to be in and what target demographic you want to write for. So your thoughts about that? Yeah, uh, we, we have who's who will read it is the question that we ask who will read it and why, which you probably get to later. So I'm going to I'm just going to say, let's just say who will read it for now. And uh, we not only look at the what we look at is like, what is the problem that they're currently aware of that they want to solve mm-hmm. that your book will address it's boy what you're bringing up it, we both know is kind of a difference maker is that often people will write a book for aspirational reasons and that john yep. cotter out of harvard said you know what the number one prerequisite is for change a sense of urgency 
So yes, like, exactly. you know, right. I wrote a book on concentrate. Stephen Covey gave the cover endorsement. And here I'll tell another story on myself because we're constantly learning as authors and so forth is that my preface, my preference is to write and think and speak and act proactively is to focus on the solution, not the problem, et cetera. And I am guessing that many, many of your clients, many of our listeners prefer to do the same thing. It's just that if I were going to write a LinkedIn blog or a book about how to focus better, that would get some interest. Do you know what would get more interest? Is people who want to cure brain fog, <laughs> people right. who can't focus, right? The problem of like, yeah. I can't concentrate in a crazy office. You know, I can't keep my attention on anything for more than three minutes. So we start with the problem and then the book is the solution, right? Exactly. And I think another thing that happens so often with, with experts is you love the solution because that's your life's work. And so it's fun to share the solution. I mean, I get it. I love sharing my solutions too. But if you don't meet the reader where they are and acknowledge, I see you, I see your struggle, I see your pain, then they're not, you're never going to get the chance to share the solution. Just <laughs> look at it. Yeah. Boom. What she said. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's come to the next W, shall we? Mm -hmm. And this is where and when. And so let's talk about when first is that. So when when is your launch date? Uh, sometimes people have a deadline. They have a, a TED Talk coming out and they want a coordinated launch of their book with their TED Talk or they're going to speak at South by Southwest or they're going to have an online program. So sometimes your launch date it drives your timeline. If it doesn't, I often ask people to pick a significant date and to start thinking about their launch party, you know, because sometimes it takes six months to 18 months for the whole book process. And then the book comes out and then it's marketing it. Why not have a launch party like at the National Press Club or at your favorite restaurant or at an independent bookstore so that you have this like event to celebrate the book on your birthday or on your anniversary or on some significant date to add this lovely celebratory emotion to the launch instead of just picking a date on the calendar. So I love that win? idea. I love that idea. That's great. And now let's talk about where. I mean, you and I both know we could do we could do a whole five day seminar on are you going to go with a traditional publisher, I self publisher, <laughs> hybrid publisher? You know, I have a whole process on the pros and cons of each because I've got a client, Terry Jones, who's founder of Travelocity and Kayak. He self published. Mm. Oh, Why? Yeah. Right. Because it was strategic for him. Yep. <laughs> He's an yep. entrepreneur. He likes control. He didn't want a publisher telling him what to do. He has the wherewithal to, to invest himself in doing a very fine job of it. Plus, Terry's strategy was he wanted to customize books for his major clients. Ah, so, yeah, you can't, you can't know, do that if you're, yeah, that's, that's a whole different thing. That's mm -hmm. right. So see, Robin, that makes your point about strategy is yeah. that if you just look on the surface, you think, wait a minute, you know, a one of the a, a famous founder who's known globally for his role in innovation and disruption, you know, he likes self-published. Isn't that like vanity press? Isn't that like, you know, second <laughs> class? No. no, if it's strategic, if exactly. it's in alignment with your goals, it can be the smart thing to do. 
Your thoughts about that? I give the identical advice. I always tell people, regardless of which path you choose, it should never be an ego based Mm -hmm. decision. And that goes both ways because I've also seen some people say, oh, I would love to get a traditional book deal, but I don't think I could. I think that is also a poor decision. If If it's strategically the right thing to do to get the traditional deal, which is also the case, you know, especially if you're writing, for example, something that is going against the grain or um, is controversial, it can be extremely helpful to have the gravitas of a publishing house behind backing you just as one example of where it would be strategic. And, you know, it might mean that you have a little bit more work to do up front before you approach agents and publishers, but, uh, you know, I've never had any client where it's just been flat out off limits. So I think you should not underestimate your ability to get a traditional publisher. And you should also not feel that you, that's the only way that you can be successful because obviously self-publishing can be a great strategic choice. I especially like it for people who do a ton of public speaking because you're going to sell a lot more books. (laughs) I mean, you're going to sell all the same number of books, but you're going to keep a lot more of the money <laughs> if you, uh, and you can do these custom things, right? You can put something special, you know, in those early pages or whatever you want to really uh, suit the group that you're speaking to. Yeah. yeah. You know, I can imagine people listening under are getting the thought that goes into this, right? The intention yeah. and, <laughs> right. and why it's customized and personalized that there is no one best answer. That's sure. why getting clear on your strategy and your goals and then acting in alignment with them is uh, specific to you and your situation and your priorities. So, you know, another goes into whether you go with a hybrid or a self-publisher, traditional publisher. You know, I have one client who's a global speaker and he wanted international deals. Well, you know, a self-published book, he wasn't, you know, that that's a whole other animal to try foreign yeah. deals, you know, if you're self-published. Yeah. So he traditionally yeah. I was going to say that can be tough too, because it's really hard to, to monitor that and make sure that you get paid. If you're, if you're on your own as a self-publisher doing international book deals, that that's really wonderful. Yeah. So do you see his goal, you know, global speaker, international speaking. So he, in fact, one publisher offered him more of an advance. However, he went with a very big name publisher that's kind of renowned for their foreign deals. And and it was just the right choice for him because he thought it through, which is what we're doing right now. So exactly. I want to throw in one more point, though. (laughs) If you're going to go with a traditional publisher and you think you've picked your launch date, <laughs> I would say pick your top five dates that you would love to do your launch party and make sure they're spread out across the year. <laughs> you know, see, Robin, what you just talked about is that when when I work people through this process, we have three columns, self-publishing, traditional, hybrid, and control is the is the acrostic, the acronym. And then each of those letters is is a specific, do a deep dive into what are your priorities? What are your intentions? What are your plans? Well, here, here is where uh, traditional publishing is going to be a better option. You know, here's where self. And, you know, we are talking about control. That That is the lead domino in terms of this choice of like, 
how much do you want to control the time? Do you want to control the money? Do you want to tr- control the revenue? You want to control the cover? You want to control the foreign yeah. sales? It's like so. So that plays a role in the decision. Yep, definitely it does. All okay, right, should we go w? on to our next W? Yes, ma'am. Thank you. All right. So now, why will it be an ROI for readers? And I deliberately use the word ROI, return Mm -hmm. on investment. You know, why should they spend their 20 bucks or why should they spend their 20 hours? Uh Why of all the books on the topic, should they read yours? Why of all the experts, should they trust you? You know, why of all all the things competing for their attention, is this going to be an ROI? And I believe in metrics, let's have three numbered reasons. And the more measurable they are, or the more surprising or specific or original they are, the more likely you're going to have a competitive edge. You know, Jack Welch said, if you don't have a competitive edge, don't compete. (laughs) I think if you don't have a competitive edge, you can't compete. You know, so, so would you like to know just a sample of like three things we can put in there that will position us as a book that people will think that's going to be worth it? Absolutely. Let's clue want, them in. Clu- get, you, ready get for su- you ready for a surprise, Robin? Okay. Okay. Now, little, you know me, 60-second story is a backstory to set it up and then the answer. Okay. okay. The very first time I spoke for a large convention and for a speaker bureau was with Sandra Schrift. And uh, she booked me for Associated General Contractors of America, like 80,000 people descend on Hawaii. And when I finished speaking, you know, I, she looked at the evaluations and I talked with her and I asked what she thought. And she said, Sam, she, she said, people loved your content. They all praised your content. And then there was a little pause. And I said, OK. <laughs> and she said, Sam, people will respect you for your content. They will ask you back if you make them laugh. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. And she said at that stage that she felt that many women speakers were trying to prove themselves, trying to prove they were smart, trying to prove their value, trying to and they over delivered on the content and it was worth it. And bottom line takeaways. Thank you very much. I'll really use this. However, they were leaving a little bit of their personality on the table and they were not as likable as they could be. So number one on your book, it's not for all books. Just think about it. Is it funny? Mm-hmm. Is it going to yeah. make people laugh? <laughs> because if you are writing a business book, people can only pay attention to business or you're writing a cause book or an issue book. Yeah, they absolutely. can only pay attention for so long. Mm-hmm. And if you... So a quick example of this, and then I can't wait to hear what you said. So Denise Brousseau is a client and a friend and wrote, she is the founder CEO of the Thought Leadership Lab. So she proofed her manuscript. She's going to turn it in in the next week. And she gets in touch with me and she says, Sam humbly submitted her book, Are You Ready to Be a Thought Leader? It's brilliant. And it is packed, packed, I tell you, with immediately useful, relevant strategies, techniques, you know, right over. It was a little dry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is a week before she turns it in. And I said, okay, Denise, just start thinking of something that made you laugh recently. And she said, Sam, this has nothing to do with thought leadership. I said, we can hook and hinge it. Just think (laughs) of something that made you laugh. 
And so she laughed when she remembered it, which is a good sign, because if it makes us laugh, it'll probably make other people laugh, right? Then we can tie it in. She's in Silicon Valley. She was at a baby's R Us buying a shower gift for a friend. And there was a couple in front of her that were buying a crib. Woman's obviously pregnant and and they're arguing because the crib has all these complicated instructions. And they get up to the cashier and they said, this looks kind of complicated. Are we going to be able to put this together ourselves? And the cashier said, well, do you have advanced degrees? And the man said, oh, yes, I have an MBA and my wife has a PhD. And the cashier says, then you're going to need to hire someone. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you can't make this stuff up. Right, right. So guess what she put in the beginning of her book, you know? And and then the segue is, you may be thinking, do I need an advanced degree to be a thought leader, right? Well, Mm, of course, the answer is no, you can have... So yeah, yeah. that is just an example. There's others. It's time for me to put a sure. sock in it. where that in a business genre. And yeah. when people are reading a book and making up their mind, whether it's going to be worth their time, that's a competitive advantage. So Absolutely. what are your thoughts? Well, one of the things that I'm fairly well known among my clients for saying is that when you're writing your book, you must remember that the that first and foremost, the industry you're in is entertainment, not information. It's wow. entertainment. And if you want the reader to get all the information, you have to keep them entertained. <laughs> and that includes including some of your personality, some of your personal stories, maybe a couple of times where you messed up, you know, making yourself vulnerable, showing your humanity. And please, please uh, make them laugh. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm 100% in your on that. Yep. And see, you and I both believe in being uh, one of a kind instead of one of many. So we're constantly trying Mm -hmm. to read the mind of a decision maker, an agent, editor, publisher, and see, they don't normally hear this, right? So that's why it immediately gives us a little bit of a leg up is because most people writing business books, cause books, issue books, they're not talking about, you know, that people will actually enjoy it and it'll be a page turner. So here's something else, too, is that where are we going to be counterintuitive or contrarian? Because, Uh, once again, a shortcut to a competitive edge is is you're not just adding to the conversation. You're taking exception to the conversation. Where is something outdated? Where is a truth in this industry or on this issue where everyone just assumes that's the case? And maybe it used to be, but it's not anymore. And it's harming people. It's jeopardizing their health or whatever. So that is a way to get an agent and editor eyebrows up is to go, whatever, you know, what you're thinking, what you're doing, it's backfiring. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. I have a, I say, bust the myths. (laughs) <laughs> um, that are that are pervasive and usually and, and also I say that like a, a great place to look is conventional wisdom because mm-hmm. you often by the time something becomes conventional wisdom it's actually no longer useful <laughs> not always <laughs> but often yeah yeah isn't this and here's just another example in alignment with what we're we're trying to give our listeners and viewers you know, a competitive edge, because once again, if we can get in the minds of our decision makers, and if we can identify the elephant in the room, their objections or their naysaying, we can get ahead of that and make it moot, right? Absolutely. Totally. 
Another thing is, and this is based on something Gary Marshall said. Uh, Did you see the movie Pretty Woman by any chance? I did. Years ago. Yeah. Well, Gary Marshall, the director, was one of our favorite keynoters. And it was because he said something so profound. I remember this as if he said it this morning. He said, Hollywood directors can predict when their movies will make money based on one thing. Do people walk out of the theater repeating something they heard word for word? Ah. See, if they walk out, say, and make my day, I'll be back. Show me the money. Right, and someone right. says, seen any good movies recently? They're talking about you. <laughs> they just became a brand ambassador, right? Uh-huh. And it's because you had a repeatable, retweetable comment. Now, you and I both know that for publishers, one of their number one criteria these days is not just, is it a viable topic? Do you have, a, you know, credentials? Their first question is, what's your digital platform, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, If we write a book that has repeatable, retweetable, a phrase that pays, Mm -hmm. that then can be used in the marketing of the book on Twitter and on Facebook and whatever titles of our LinkedIn blogs, our medium posts, et cetera, we are dramatically increasing the likelihood of this book being an evergreen because our repeatable, retweetable memes, our pullout phrase that pays, et cetera, are creating buzz in a way that keeps book insight in mind, top of mind. Mm, I love that. I love that phrase that pays. (laughs) (laughs) And it does. That's a great one. That's a great one. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Where are we? We are. That was, that was the fourth W that was, why will it be an ROI for readers? And also, for agents, editors, publishers, yeah. et cetera. Because when they see that we've done our homework like this, that we have thought through a strategy for the book that makes it a win for the readers, what makes it a win for the publisher, then it, it makes it a, an easier yes. So I'm going to add to that. So one of the things that we do is we we identify three to five books in that in the same topic area, in the same space that the author is is intending to write. And we specifically look for two things. One is what the author is saying that might be outdated or no longer relevant or just flat out wrong. But I think probably even more importantly, as we look for what are they not addressing at all, right? What is the thing that our author has a lot to say about that this person didn't even touch? Because that is going to be where where we're going to find a lot of the gold and where we're going to be able to show agents and editors this book is not only unique and relevant but it's really important that this gets out because no one else is sharing this particular these particular ideas see robin what we're doing right now is once again exhibit a of like hopefully people are thinking wow Because most writers say, well, here's what I want to write about, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. It's a good starting starting point. (laughs) And and we are trying to get in the minds of our intended decision makers, our audience and our buyers, et cetera. And and no, we're we're holding ourselves accountable, not just for writing what we want to write about, how we can position it and focus it and message it and then market it in a way that of it is very cluttered space. People, so I haven't seen that before. Well, I need that. Wow, that, you know, intrigues me, et cetera. So 
you know, one more thing we're talking about a competitive, you know, competitive analysis, like in a proposal or a pitch or something like that, and identifying comp books. Mm-hmm. Is I had a, a client who covered NASCAR for ESPN. She wanted to write. When we got to the competitive analysis, we knew that I know I'm painting with a broad brush here. So please forgive me speaking in a generalization. We knew that many, many people in New York think that people who go to NASCAR don't read. <laughs> You're going to make me say it. <laughs> so, so do you see how that would not have been strategic to simply compare her to other books on NASCAR because they would think small book, right? And, or not for me. I'm not interested. So we asked ourselves, what is it like with a twist? And we jumped the genre. I'm going to say it again. We jumped the genre because sometimes what your book is like is not in your genre, it's right. in another genre, and you can make the case with a twist, and now you've elevated the sophistication of your pitch or proposal in a way that this is what keeps agents and editors in business. I never would have thought of that. That's hey, brilliant. And they see it bigger, right? Uh-huh. So we asked ourselves, because what she's doing, you know, NASCAR is an American industry. It was she was going to go behind the scenes, pull back the curtain on this American industry, you know, etc. You don't have to so uh, we don't have to anyway. So we compared her to Seabiscuit because at the point, Seabiscuit uh, was a critical commercial success. It was a nonfiction right, novel. Right, it was an American yeah. industry pulled back the cover, right? And right. we compared her to Orchid Thief. Same thing. You didn't have to like Orchids. It was made into a movie. It was a great book, screenplay, etc. And you see how if we're strategic, with ask yourself, what is your book like with a twist? And mm-hmm. it can be in your genre or it can be outside the genre. And now you have just elevated the public and the decision makers perspective and probably made it a bigger book in their eyes. Absolutely. I love that. I love that. You know, this, this, the thing that's occurring to me as you're sharing this is I think that a mistake that a lot of, of wannabe authors make, especially people who've had illustrious, successful careers is when they think about writing a book, they go right to the idea of doing a memoir, which is a very difficult sell. And, you know, they don't tend to do very well, like unless you're a, a real celebrity or some extraordinary writer who, you know, happened to have the right book at the right time, <laughs> you know, and had an MFA level of writing skill. But, you know, one of the things that, that we've helped a lot of clients do is, okay, so you have all these fabulous stories from your experience that you'd love to share. How can we form, how can we pull this together in a more of a thought leadership book or a business self-help book or a prescriptive memoir, right? Where you maybe are writing a series of essays with some learnings or teachings. And that way we can take they still get to tell all of, all of their favorite stories, but they're doing it in a way that's a lot more saleable and just easier to digest for a, a mass market that doesn't, you know, when you're not a household name, that can be a great way to put a twist like you're talking about, too. See, you're playing the long game, Robin, <laughs> you know, because, you know, a lot of the clients that we're talking about have kind of come to the end of one career and they're ready for meaningful next. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And as you, you know, if they want to get paid to speak, if they want to be a consultant, corporate consultant, a global resource, et cetera, then, as you say, to look for the river that runs through their work. Yes. You know, it's, yes. it's like a memoir not only often does you know, it's just based on your celebrity. And if your celebrity, quote unquote, is over, <laughs> you know, that's not an evergreen 
book, right? <laughs> so, and, and a quick example, a lovely example of that, my agent is Lori Liss, and Lori represents Rachel Maddow. And all the publishers want a memoir from Rachel. However, strategy, come on. It's like she's thinking, my career's not over. That's premature. Yeah. And furthermore, Lori is a big thinker is that, you know, Rachel wrote about oil and wrote about Russia and so forth because it positioned her as this big thinker about global events. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where she wants to play. That's where she wants to roll. So once again, look at you're at a crossroads. Are you going to go with low hanging fruit? A book that's in a year or two from now going to be outdated because kind of you're it's oh, Condoleezza Rice says, in my opinion, we should never be a former anything. <laughs> Isn't that interesting, though, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, as you say, to identify the enduring stories with the universal lessons that will be relevant 10, 20 years from now is more strategic. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Do we have a fifth or was that oh, the but- but the think we have one more. W five plan. Yeah. So uh, the number five is why will it be an ROI for us? Ah, hey, you know, yeah, we're yeah. going to pour time and effort, money in this, right? So how how can we be sure that this is going to pay off for us? Mm-hmm. Now these can be emotional. These can be, you know, maybe. Uh, and I'm going to save a little story for a second. However, maybe you you want a TED talk out of the book. I, I personally, with my own clients, I suggest let's not make New York Times bestseller as one of your goals. Unfortunately, you can buy that these days. You can game it, et cetera. Even if it's, you know, for 10 minutes, it's like, let's come up with more meaningful, more enduring ROIs, because I believe a quality book is a pebble in the pond of our industry, of our, of our legacy. Mm-hmm. You and I both think, a book is not a business card. You know, a book, poor ourselves. I mean, I know you and I are both when anybody says that, I just get all cringy. It's just yeah. awful. Yeah. Yeah. So see, maybe, maybe, you know, so yes, maybe, maybe we're in a position where the book does need to make a certain amount of money, does need to drive paid consulting, does need to position us as an online resource is going to be in coordination. So absolutely, we can have business-related, career-oriented metric goals for it. And let's balance them with, and I kind of get emotional in this story. I wrote a book on uh, Take the Bully by the Horns. And so there was a, an independent bookseller in San Francisco who asked me to come and speak. And now this is why it's not just about the numbers, is it? It's a smaller book story. I think at the most we could fit maybe 30 people in it. Now, some people would tell you it wasn't worth speaking at that bookstore, right? Because only 30 people would be there. So it was not an ROI. However, if we ground ourselves in Pablo Picasso said, the purpose of life is to find our gifts. The meaning is to give them away. Robin, I will always remember, you know, they're setting up their folding chairs and a couple come in with their daughter and they walk over and the bully book is like dog-eared and starred and underlined and, you know, and the couple told me that, that the book had saved their daughter's life. Wow. And that she grew grew up with friends in their neighborhood. And when she was 13, the year before, she went to the lunch to cafeteria like she normally did. 
and the girls shunned her. They closed uh, ranks. They would not talk with her. They would uh, not tell her what she had done or said. And this young girl started having stomach aches, you know, yeah, fell yeah. into a depression, dropped out of sports. And so, hey, was it worth it to write yeah. that book? Yeah. Or, you know, yeah, it is. <laughs> so what are three reasons, heart reasons and head reasons? Yeah, absolutely. We'll always be glad we wrote this book, that it served us and others. It was our contribution. What are your thoughts? Well, I have two questions that cover this in, in, in the uh, develop your concept core questions that we ask. And one is, you know, what's in it for you, right? What do you want to get out of writing this book? Yeah. And I'm always trying to get the, the, the hard numbers ROI answer when I ask that question. But to my client's credit, they always answer the other question that I'm about to ask instead first, <laughs> which is what difference do you want to make in the world? And I actually love that I get to work with people who have trouble telling the difference between what they want for, them, for themselves and what difference they want to make in the world. But that is, you know, that is really what, I mean, we help world-class experts write world-changing books. So obviously we're very interested in what difference they want to make in the world (laughs) because we know that having the book out will actually help cause that difference. And I think that you bring up such an important point because it's not just about on this global scale of like all the millions of people out there, but really another thing I always advise authors is when you're writing that book, you should be writing to one reader and you have one person in mind and in your heart, because that's how they're going to receive the book. They're not receiving the book as all you readers out there. They're sitting probably in bed with your book propped up in their lap, and they are reading your words in the most intimate space that they have in their entire world. And it's important to honor that by treating that as an intimate conversation and really connecting with who is that person on the other side? And, you know, how can you connect with them? And, and what difference do you want to help them make in their yeah. own life? And, uh, and yes, the metrics, of course, because it is part of the reality. And what I tell my clients there is, I know your publisher mainly cares about book sales, but you have a much bigger world where you can get your return on investment in a multitude of ways And so whatever you do to sell your book, make sure it also drives and supports your bigger mission, your business, your greater concern, your your greater mission on this planet. What wisdom, Robin. You know, Sting had writer's block for eight years. And uh, for eight years, you know, no no words, blank screen. And he went back uh, to Newcastle, where he grew up by the great iron ships. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he was so he interviewed them, the welders and the shipmakers, and he was so inspired that he wrote a musical that premiered on Broadway. And I'm reading this article in Vanity Fair and my light bulb went off because I was working on Tung Fu at school at that point, And I normally love to write, but I did, you know, it had become a grind. I was really busy and I had a deadline and, you know, and as Robert <laughs> Ross said, you know, no joy in the writer, no joy in the reader, right? So, right. <laughs> so that my light bulb went off and I realized writing had become an intellectual exercise. 
And writing is not supposed to be an intellectual exercise. It's supposed to be an empathetic or empathic exercise. I got up, I went over to my son's high school. I interviewed the principal. You know, what do you do when a teacher comes in and says, I don't get paid to deal with this? I interviewed teachers. You know, what do you do when you're accused of? I interviewed kids about bullies on the bus. I came home and the words flowed out so fast, my fingers couldn't keep up. And, you know, I did just what you talk about is that instead of focusing on what I wanted to say and word count and number pages and all of that, which is intellectual pressure and the critical voice that kills the creative voice, I reconnected with the source of creativity And the source of creativity is to talk with our intended readers and to steep ourselves in what they're going through, what they can't figure out, what keeps them up at night, what they're worried about, what they want, et cetera. And it will it will fill us and it will fuel us in a way it will flow out through our fingers and onto the page. Brilliant. Ah, beautiful. (laughs) I love that. And it's just so, so true. I mean, that and that's really the source of everything, right, is you have this desire to to help somebody who's having a challenge and you know your expertise can help lead them through it. And to reconnect with that is uh, is so powerful. And you're right, you'll never have writer's block. If you're thinking of your reader, it's when you stay overly focused on yourself that you're going to be in trouble. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You're right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, I can't believe how quickly this time has flown by, but boy, what incredible strategies. I have a feeling that our listeners might have a notebook full of notes and (laughs) you have to listen two or three times or be sure to uh, subscribe to our podcast so you can go find it easily again. (laughs) So Sam, any closing thoughts or anything that we, that I didn't ask you about that, that you would love to add to this incredible feast that you've laid out before us today? Well, thank you. I guess two things. One is that in all the years I've had the joy, and it really is a joy of working with people and getting their their books out of their head and into the world, I've never met any authors who were sorry they wrote their book. authors who are sorry they didn't write it sooner, right? Mm, (laughs) And and here's how to expedite that, is that across the board, what we would hear from people after the Maui Writers Conference is that they would go home, they would be all fired up, raring to go, you know, and then life would intervene. And a Uh, couple weeks later, you know, their intentions, the book gets put away, that whatever. And so what I have found is that if everyone watching and listening will draft up a cover of their book, you know, and I believe on titles on an upslant, titles on a horizontal, just sit on a page, titles on an upslant, engage. So in the upper right hand corner, put your cover endorser title on an upslant, you know, and if you post it on your refrigerator or if you post it by your desk, where it's in sight, in mind, where it stays top of mind instead of out of sight, out of mind, it will keep your book front and center in your life. And if you do this W-5 form or the, the form that you fill out, and once again, if you keep it in sight, in mind, it will serve as a North Star for your project. And uh, E.L. Doctora was asked what it was like writing a book. He thought about it and he said, 
it's kind of like driving a car at night. Right. <laughs> you can see to the end of your headlights. Yes. You can make the whole trip that way. And this will serve as your headlights. So true. So true. Well, on that note, thank you again for being with us here today on the Author's Corner and for all your generous and timeless and outstanding wisdom. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Hope people did too. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time. 